Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut, and I went keto in 2016 to reverse diabetes and lose weight. It's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is necessary for keto success. Oh, yeah. Duck confit. <laughs> Uh-oh. Now you said the magic word. Oh, yeah. Duck. And then you added the word confit. Confit. Mmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway... I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but it can be better than any other kind of food. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And also our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Now, we don't give medical advice because we're not doctors. We just want to share our experiences and review the research that supports it. Oh, and guacamole. Yes, guacamole. We share our recipes and any science we find in the show notes. Yay for guacamole. Yeah. So let's start podcast number 165. Dr. Sean Baker talks carnivore and bureaucracy. You know what goes best with carnivore? bureaucracy no i'm just kidding <laughs> i was like a little bureaucracy with my carnivore oh bureaucracy mm. but before we get started on that let's explain in plain english what a ketogenic diet is right that's any diet that puts you into a state of ketosis where you're burning fat for energy rather than glucose the way we did it was to limit our carbohydrates to 20 grams or less per day have a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all of our energy comes from fat. All the fat. Right. Plate fat and body fat. And if you're just starting, listen to our starting keto show at start.2keto.com or just start with episode one. It's all good. So what's new with you, Carrie? Well, it's been a week. I still have my lovely house guest here mm -hmm. and... She has been house hunting and job hunting, hmm. and I have been cooking for someone other than myself, which is always a pleasure, but also yeah. a bit weird, because that's not normal. <laughs> but mostly this week, I've been putting the final touches on the next round of the Happy Healthy Keto program that the lovely Kim Houghton and I launched in March and we're just getting ready to start program group number two on May 6th. So how did group one go? The group group one went better than we could ever have imagined. Wow. The feedback and the successes and the results have been magical. And nobody, everybody's panicking because they're like, do we have to leave the group now? Do we have, can we stay? Can we stay? Can we do it again? So it, it was, it was super, super successful Great. on, on every level. Of course it was. But we, we also, we, we took their feedback. And so we've been upgrading the program, which is why I've been so busy this week, uh, getting that done ready for the next group. I, we've been upgrading the program. We've added another two meal plans. So there's five meal plans now. Wow. One is egg-free. One is dairy-free options for people. Then we've added some more content to the program. And, and so we, we've, we've added a bunch more stuff to make it even better. That's great. So that's, that's what I've been working on this week. And as you know, Carl... Mm. I have I have turned down your every invitation this week. I know, you've been busy. <laughs> yeah. So what have you been up to while I've been slaving away over my Mac? Well, one of those invitations was yesterday. I did a daddy-daughter day with my youngest, and we just picked a, a direction and drove around, and we ended up uh, up near where you live. And I texted you to say if you wanted to uh, get together, and you were like, no, I'm head down. I'm sorry. So... I, you know, I just, I got this little warm glow when you texted me and said you were having a daddy daughter day. I absolutely love 
yeah. that you date your daughters. I, I just, I think that's the coolest thing. Well, you know, if I could, I'd date them every day, but that's just not how life works. But uh, I've been getting processes in place for KetoFest, of course, and as you have. Um, I've got some great local help this year. Not only you, Carrie, but a few others. One of them came through the New London County Ketogenic Meetup Group. And uh, another was just a friend of mine who I helped out and went keto and lost 35 pounds. And she's got all sorts of mad skills in marketing and stuff. So we, we're, really, uh, we're really getting a core local group here together this year, which is something that I haven't had enough of, you know, last year and the year before. And, and of course, Dr. Sean Baker is going to be speaking at Keto Fest. That's right. People are starting to refer to him as the Jolly Giant because he <laughs> is a big guy. And if you want to rub, I'm not sure you'll be able to rub shoulders with him. My shoulders certainly don't come anywhere near his. Mm. But if you want to rub shoulders with him, he will be in New London speaking at Keto Fest, hanging out at the VIP party mm-hmm. and, and just being there the whole weekend. So if yep. it's, on your bucket list to hang with Dr. Sean Baker. Right. So uh, I've also been working on the Bazoodles cookbook. And uh, Karen Mangicotti stopped by. She was in town from Costa Rica. And she had these noodles for the first time a couple days ago. And her jaw just hit the floor. She couldn't believe it because she's lived her whole life on lasagna, right? And so now she's like, I can make lasagna again. That's amazing. I'm also working on a, a Polish recipe that involves bazoodles in, in the regular recipe that I used to make. It would, would be egg noodles, so it's a perfect substitution. But it also has kielbasa, shredded cabbage, sour cream, and caraway seeds. It's a delicious That sounds dish. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when, remind me, when is this glorious cookbook going to be out? It's going to be out the first weekend in July, and uh, that's that's when it'll be available, and you can order it, pre-order it for a discount at bazoodles.com. It's B-Z-O-O-D-L-E-S.com. And we will, of course, put all the linkages in the show notes, yep. so you don't have to remember any of that. Yeah. So it's time to give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. Who's the winner this week, Carl? This week's winner is Benjamin Shapiro. Yay, Benjamin! Benjamin just won a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug just for being a member of the fan club. And you can join the fan club by going to fanclub.twoketo.com. And if you don't want to wait to win a coffee mug, you can get one online at gear.twoketo.com. Makes a great gift. All right, then, Carrie, let's bring on the mail! Do you have a letter to read, Carl? I do have a letter to read. Yes. That was my stayed moment. Yes, yes, yes. This is, of course, from this massive thread we have going on at the Ketogenic Forums. It's called the Great Big Public Keto Before and After Thread. People put their before and after pictures and their stories in there. They know they're public. They know they could get shared and they don't care. They just want to, you know, talk about their successes. And so this one is from a couple weeks ago from Courtney. Courtney says, I'm excited to be able to share my story. And while I'm not yet at my goal, I'm still sharing because I'm so pleased with my progress. Keto has changed my life in more ways than I can count. So I already feel like I've won my life back. Therefore, any additional progress from here is just icing on the low-carb cake. <laughs> I've been I've been overweight pretty much my entire life, she says. I can remember being in kindergarten and my mom would pack me diet food for snack time while the other kids would eat something else. As a teen, I would either just eat all the bad food or try to starve myself. It didn't get to the extreme as what one would define as an eating disorder. I just had no idea how to manage my nutrition. To be honest, my parents really didn't either. We had a relatively low income, so the food that we had on the table wasn't always healthy. It was what was cheap, easy, and convenient. Please understand, I'm not pointing a finger at my parents. They truly did the best they could with what they had at the time. That's a very good point to make. And, you know, when we think about how we grew up and the things that we thought were healthy, you know, our parents were just following the guidelines like everybody else. Yep, they were. So, yes, to make a very long story a little shorter, 
I struggled with my weight since I was a child and fast forward to now, I'm almost 40 and just now understanding how proper nutrition impacts so much more than your weight. I started keto in June of 2018 and ever since then I haven't looked back. It is truly the only way of life that has worked for me. I've tried every diet in the book and joined and stopped going to Weight Watchers more times than I can even count. But keto, keto is the only thing that I've been able to stick with. It's the only way that I've been able to lose the weight and be completely content with the way I'm doing it. This is the first time I've found something that I feel I can sustain for my whole life. I could go on and on, but I won't. Here are some progress pictures. I think they really do speak for themselves. And boy, do they ever. You can just feel her joy and and her sense of success in mm. this story. I just love it. I'm I I'm so proud of you, Courtney. It looks like she's probably lost 50, 60, maybe even 70 pounds. That's she amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Well done. Well done indeed. Well, I'm very excited to have as our guest today, Carrie, none other than Dr. Sean Baker from SoCal. Hi, Sean. Hey, Carl. It's good to be here. Carrie, good to be here, guys. I'm, um, yeah, I'm very excited. I, I kind of saw you. I brushed past you in Denver and got neck strain just right there because you're <laughs> probably a foot tall. No, a foot and three inches taller than me. Yeah, Sean is a tall individual. That's oh, for sure. But, but I was, uh, it was unfortunately, I didn't get to actually hang out and you were mobbed most of the time. So, um, my friend Danny Vega, kind of had you in a corner uh, for a lot of the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. We talk with Danny quite a bit. Yeah, it's kind of, you'd be surprised to find out that my mother is probably about your height then. She's five foot one. So, it's surprising that uh, I turned out kind of big. Do you have a tall father? Not, too, I mean, he's about six one, so not oh, super tall. That's tallish. So kind, of a, kind of a little bit of an outlier. All right. I really enjoyed your talk in Denver, and uh, it was great to have a carnivore-focused low-carb conference it seems like the carnivore thing is kind of taking off. Yeah, I mean, certainly it's 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 growing pretty rapidly. Kind of every day, more and more people are trying it, and uh, I think it's you know I think it's fun. We should we should uh, be open to new ideas. You know, keto was a was a well, it's not a new idea, but I mean, it's it's kind of popularity has become new in the last couple last decade or so. And mm. as you guys know, it was therapeutic back in the 1920s for epilepsy, but. You know, I think we're, I think we're at a point in nutrition. I mean, I think we're, we're I think most many people are conceding the fact that much of our nutritional knowledge has not helped much, and there's a lot of problems with nutritional knowledge in general. Mm. And and sometimes it's just us, it's up to people to to kind of you know go down a different path and see what happens. And I think people doing whether it's a low carb, a ketogenic, or carnivore diet are doing exactly that. And you know, the results are in many cases not what people would would have otherwise predicted. One of the things that strikes me about all of the talks that I saw in Denver and, you know, the sort of general conversation was around uh, autoimmune diseases being prodded on by leaky gut syndrome, which of course is, uh, you know, the result of lots of grains and vegetables and weird things. Uh, so we think anyway, and it seems like people with autoimmune diseases that go carnivore, it seems to help. Yeah, I mean, clearly that's been, uh, you know, the, the experience I'm getting now. Again, I have to be honest and say I, I hear the success stories. I mean, you know, I, I don't get a lot of people saying I went, you know, carnivore and my autoimmunities got worse. I don't I don't typically hear those. So there is some selection bias and survivorship bias that we don't know yet. And so ideally, you know, there'll be some some studies on this. But certainly for many people and my my impression from what I think is is is, is a, a majority of people, it does seem to work. And, you know, there's. A fellow by the name of Alessio Faisano up in your neck of the woods, I think he's out of Boston, has been looking at and, and making claims that leaky gut has been responsible for autoimmune disease for quite a few years. And he's got quite a bit of published research that supports that. As you know, the public paleomedicina group in Hungary has done similar work with looking at leaky gut. And it does appear that, you know, food can impact our gut permeability. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. So the question is, you know, which foods are they? And surprisingly, you know, some of these uh, vegetables and other plant foods seem to do that. And so, I mean, we have to kind of, you know, kind of recalibrate where we're at and say, well, maybe, you know, eating, you know, six cups of broccoli a day isn't the best idea for us. Do you have patients that come to you and you, you know, after they explain their situation, you think to yourself, you know, you should really try carnivore. And when you suggest it, they say, yeah, but I don't like meat. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, from, from time to time, you know, again, it's a very, very uh, tough concept for a lot of people to 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 want to eat one food exclusively. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you don't totally have to do that, I think. But you know, I think it's there. There's such a stigma around med, red meat that, that, particularly red meat, that we've been kind of uh, f- more or less force fed for the last you know 50, 60, even a hundred years. And so it's a really tough concept for people to swallow whether they like it or most people like it. I mean, most people, you know, if you, if you really, you know, I mean, there's people out there that, that don't know how to cook and they've, they've been eating, you know, poorly prepared meat or, or, you know, burnt to a crisp meat and they don't really mm. find it very appealing and I wouldn't either. And so, mm. you know, I, I would say that uh, a small percentage of people do fall in that category. I don't digest it well. I don't tolerate it well. I don't like it. I don't like the texture of it. I think that's a, you know, I think that's you know, kind of a conditioning thing, I think for many people, but, uh, I think for most human beings find it, you know, find the taste of it and then, uh, you know, the way it, the way it feels fairly pleasurable. So I, I'm curious as, as a, uh, as a consumer, as a patient, uh, Carl mentioned your, your, your medical practice. How do you, and particularly cause you live in the state of California and, and I have a, my view of California is that it's kind of a lot more regulated maybe than some of the other states, although obviously I'm not from here, so I don't really know. But how do you, can you integrate your, you know, your personal feelings about carnival into your medical practice? How much are you able to do that? Is, is kind of keto carnival your first line of, of defense when you're, when you see new patients, like how do you integrate what you do personally, knowing what you do into your medical practice? How do you, and how do you navigate like, you know, all the governmental organizations and the insurance companies? And I remember having a conversation with Dr. Ted Naiman once and said he was forever getting the, the warning letters from insurance companies because he was supposed to be putting them on statins and he wasn't. So how do you make what you do work with trying to help your patients? Well, I mean, to, to, to what I'm doing right now with, with that sort of thing is I'm not doing it through a medical practice. I do it through just big online consulting, which would be more of, more of a health coach type of situation for that sort of stuff. And so, um, you know, when I was, when I was actively doing orthopedic surgery, I was doing, I was at that time I was practicing a ketogenic diet and I was doing that with the patients. And, you know, I just did it. I didn't really, uh, <laughs> I wasn't worried about that because I, I felt I was doing the right thing. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, I saw so many pa- patients benefit from that. So I didn't really worry about that. Um, the problem with that is it takes time to, to incorporate lifestyle into a non-lifestyle practice. And that's, that's where things get kind of tricky. You know, if you don't have, you know, um, as this stuff is evolving, you know, initially when you're doing it by yourself, you know, it takes you, you know, if you think about somebody, you take somebody in, in the clinic that comes in with, you know, maybe knee pain from a, from a meniscal tear and you, and you see they're clearly have metabolic syndrome and they have obesity and, you know, another, another number of other medical issues going on that you, you, you know, that are going to improve with diet and other lifestyle measures for sure. I mean, to, to have that conversation, not a, you know, it's not a five, 10 minute conversation. I mean, it's really not. And so, um, that is where, you know, it becomes challenging because the medical, the, the Western medical system in many specialties in my specialty in particular in orthopedics, I mean, we were set up to see patients, you know, 15 minutes was a luxury on, on average. It was probably something like six to seven minutes. And that includes the time it takes to document and, and, and uh, do all the billing and coding that, that comes in there. So, I mean, you're, you're just, you know, hustling all the time. And so I think there are ways to do that. To, to get around that. And I mean, one, one, one is to have seminars, one is to, uh, you know, do the stuff outside of the practice. And that's what I did, you know, uh, and I'm doing now. Now, as I probably transition forward, we're going to, we're going to probably, I'm going to probably partner up with another physician uh, by the guy, guy named, by the name of Paul Saladino. And we're probably going to do more of a seminar style approach because I think you can reach more people uh, more effectively because you're, you're basically saying the same message over and over. And rather than sitting there individually telling you know, hundred people over a hundred hours, the same message, more or less, you can, you can get those hundred people together in one hour and, you know, accomplish much more and treat many more pe- people. I think. I, I got to think that, you know, Carrie's concerns might still be valid that, um, because you are a doctor, even if you're doing life coaching or health coaching or whatever, uh, you know, most coaches will say, I'm not a doctor, you know, this isn't medical advice like we do on our podcast. I mean, we, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you're certainly, you know, you certainly can let the, you know, let the patients know. Yeah, I, I'm, this is not medical price. See your, see your, your family doctor for medical issues. You know, I, mm. I'm not in there prescribing or deprescribing drugs for people. I'm right, just telling right, them right. what, you know, what works from a, from a uh, diet and nutrition and lifestyle standpoint, and what the, the general things that often happen, what generally works pretty well. And I yeah. think that, I mean, I think that works pretty well yeah, as far as yeah. you know, getting the message out without, without trying to. You know, come across as you know this is this is practicing medicine right now. I know Brett Sher, you know, the low carb MD does a similar thing. He has a, you know, a day to day hospital cardiology practice, and then he separates that completely, and and, and he's in California as well. Mm. And then outside of that, he has his health coaching thing, and he has the same exact disclaimer. So this is not a, you know, this is not a doctor patient medical relationship. But but at the same time, you know, you have the the knowledge, the training, you can, you can speak intelligently about medical issues and you can say, this is what this may or may not mean. You know, you need to follow up with your physician to, to rectify this, order the appropriate labs, uh, you know, uh, you know, lower your medication. In most cases, in most cases, you guys know in the keto sphere, most people going to ketogenic diet end up coming off medications and they have to do that, you know, in a, in a logical fashion. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting that in the United States, we haven't had a Tim Noakes trial or a Gary Fetke trial. You know what I mean? Whereas, uh, that hasn't happened here yet. I don't think. Well, I mean, you know, my situation, I, I mean, I guess you guys aren't aware. I mean, I was practicing, uh, as an orthopedic surgeon and I ended up, uh, uh, you know, what I was doing was, you know, doing these lifestyle things. And, you know, prior to that, I had been the most productive. I mean, I was a surgeon that did more surgeries than anybody in the whole, almost anybody in the entire state. I was extremely busy, extremely successful, a very high patient satisfaction, making lots and lots of money for the hospital and myself, extremely busy. And then I got into this self-discovery of diet, you know, and, and, and it started out with just losing weight, going from 285 pounds to 230 pounds in three months. Mm. And I did that through through basically, you know, eating a lot, not very much and exercising very hard and it worked, but it wasn't sustainable. And so then I then I progressed through paleo and low carb and, you know, read all the read all the books and, you know, so on and so forth. And I got into keto and found how effective and how good I felt and started doing that with my patients. And then what it kept, what I started seeing is patients that I were that I was going to operate on no longer needed surgery. They were not having pain anymore. Mm. You know, and I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I said, Well, I'd rather you not need the surgery than need the surgery. And so I Again, on my own, started, you know, handing out people, you know, flyers and, and what these are the book, books you can read. These are the videos you should watch, you know, and then I would talk to them. And then I started started seeing pretty good results with people losing weight and their, their joint pain would go away and we were canceling surgeries. Mm. And I got really excited about this. And so I decided that I, I, I pursued the hospital administration to say, hey, I really want to um, – have a day a week where I can do lifestyle counseling, right? That was my goal. And they were said, no, there is no appetite for us to do that. You know, they, in other words, shut up and keep operating and, and don't, and don't uh, practice lifestyle stuff because we're paying you to be a surgeon. That's what you train for. And that's where the money is. And so that's what Gary Fatke went through, right? He was an orthopedic well, I mean, Gary surgeon. Went, yeah, Gary went through yeah. the same thing because he was telling people don't eat a bunch of sugar and stuff. And, and they, the dietitians complained about that. Well, I mean, so, I mean, I continue to push this and I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a type of guy that, you know, just quietly sits back and, and, and why well, I, you know, kind of laughed about me saying I follow direction, but I honestly, I, I, I follow my heart. And so I went back and I said, look, I want to be part of the health, the, the, the employee wellness program. Cause we had, we had this typical plant-based calories in calories out employee wellness program, which wasn't working clearly. I mean, most of our employees were not healthy. So I said, well, let me do this. And I got in there and they sent me with the head gal and the head gal was, was, was plant-based. You know, I got into her office and she had a big box of, box of peaches sitting on the table. And I was like, okay, this isn't going to go very well. But so I got shut down from that. And then we had a bariatric program that developed and, and the, they, they brought in a surgeon who was actually really nice, really good guy, a good friend of mine. They brought in a surgeon. They were supposed to have a non-operative, you know, part of the program, but they never established that. They were like, well, we're not really interested in the non-operative part. Because I had asked to be the, the 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 head of the non-operative program, and I was going to put people on low carbohydrate-based diets, so I continued to persist. And then, I, you know, I finally I told my secretary, "Look, just block my schedule. I'm going to do lifestyle stuff regardless." And and I started to do that. And then within within about oh a month of doing that, they 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 said we're going to do a peer review on you. Peer review process. They pulled a bunch of charts from years back, you know, saying, "Well, you had a you had a technical error on this surgery three years ago." And they did that, and they put me through this peer review process, and they ended up suspending my medical privileges at the hospital. And so, whoa, I fought that. 
with a fair hearing trial, which was, you know, something they did. Unfortunately, they hired my direct financial competitor to run that. Oh man! And that became uh, it was just became a sham. It was it was a kangaroo court. So I ended up. The state board finally got ahead of the, the state board. Asked me to, you know, they said we can we can either we're going to either investigate this more, but it's going to take a couple of you know, at least a year, and it's going to be very expensive. You know, talking. In the in the order of hundreds of thousands of dollars, which I didn't want to do, or you can you can surrender your medical license and then go get independently evaluated. And so that's what I did. I said, okay, I'll surrender my license. I'll go independently evaluated because I think the hospital's full of BS. I went up to get independently medically evaluated. The, the, the independent medical evaluator said, "There's nothing wrong with the way you practice medicine. Go back to work." And so I, then I had to reapply for my medical license and was and was given it back. So I had about, but this took about three years. So I had three years where, you know, I couldn't work you know, as a physician. And so it was, it was a very frustrating experience. So it was kind of in a way similar to what Tim Noakes and, and Gary Fetke went through. Yeah, I had no idea that you went through that. Did you, Carrie? I, I, I didn't. But that's kind of what a part of my question was, you know, are there like, do you face difficulties and roadblocks when you're trying to do medicine that you know works? You absolutely 100% do uh, particularly if you do it in the framework of a hospital that, that's interested in making money, and all hospitals are, let's be, be honest, at the end of the day. I mean, this is something that orthopedic surgery is an extremely lucrative practice for for both the, the people who practice it and for the hospitals because they make a lot of money. Orthopedic surgeons are paid, they're the highest paid medical specialty in the world right now uh, in the United States. I mean, if you look at the average salaries, I mean, they're, they're up there, and there's a reason for that is because it's extremely uh, lucrative for the hospital. The more procedures you do, the more surgeries you do, the more money the hospitals make. And then once you step away from it, and I was ahead of the practice. I mean, I was a guy, I was a main guy. I was ahead of the group. Uh, you know, like I said, I had a wonderful track record. Uh, and I was extremely, extremely efficient, extremely busy as a surgeon. But as soon as I said, I don't want to do that anymore, then, then it was a different story. Then, then I wasn't, I wasn't on the billboards. I wasn't in the magazines. I wasn't doing the radio shows. I wasn't the you know, I wasn't the uh, the prince of the hospital. I was now now I was castigated as as a bad guy because I said I want to I want to do lifestyle over, you know, these procedures. I, I can't even imagine how frustrating that that is. But ha for you, how it was that three years. But I is it getting better? Are we moving anywhere towards? these things not I, I, happening? You know, I think there are more and more people, as you guys are well aware, there's more and more doctors out there that have, have gotten frustrated with that and, and are taking it in their hands and practicing, uh, you know, lifestyle-based medicine. Obviously, the field of functional medicine and integrative medicine is, is, is growing. There's a lot of other options. I think uh, there are surgeons, you know, my, my old partner, an orthopedic surgeon I know now, and he's he's setting up seminars up in up in uh, Kingman, Arizona. He was a guy I was stationed within the Air Force when I was a military surgeon. So there's people that are that are slowly doing this and adopting it, but I think you know more and more physicians are just taking it in their own hands and saying, okay, I'm just going to step away from the system, you know, and 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 practice, you know, I'm I'm not going to take medical insurance anymore. I'm not going to be hospital based. I'm just going to go outside and and do my own stuff. And I think it's very rewarding for those physicians, and I, and that's what I think a lot of people do. You know, when let you know, unfortunately, as a surgical subspecialty, you're kind of tied into a hospital if you want to do surgery. I mean, that's just the way it works. You can't go out there and do surgery in your garage. I mean, you got you got to do it you, there. So You know what though? This story doesn't bode well and it just comes down to to greed and how humanity works. When you have a practice or a system that makes a lot of money, the focus changes from let's help people to let's keep this money rolling. And anything that gets in the way is going to, you know, we're going to fight it no matter what. Because, you know, we, we think our practice and what we do benefits our patients. And, you know, along comes something that does it for a lot cheaper and a lot less destructively and, and all of this. And, and it's a threat. I mean, this, this kind of thing isn't going to go away. I mean, this is just how people are. Don't you agree? Well, I mean, who, why would it surprise anybody that people want to make a lot of money? I mean, that's I mean, <laughs> that's not surprising at all. I mean, that's we see that through all industry and all businesses. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising at all. And you know, as if we've seen in the medical system, I mean, the number of administrators has grown something like you know in the last twenty years, something like five six hundred percent, whereas the number of physicians has barely grown at all. So we've we've seen much more. Uh, you know, medicine becoming a business where it used to be kind of, we, we consider it the art of medicine. Now it's clearly, clearly the business of medicine. And all, a lot of our CME now revolves around business practices and making money and being efficient 
and you know how to and you know we get stuff on how to how to how to navigate uh, insurance companies to get our drugs approved, you know, and, and so it's it's very clearly squarely a business at this point, you know, and and there's it's not going to turn from that. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, these big hospital systems they don't make that much money in general uh, on a, on a margin. I mean, they're operating on a two to three percent margin, and so they've got this huge expenses to pay, all the employees, you know, all the facility fees. So they got to make the money. I mean, otherwise they go under. So they're constantly you know, promoting the things that make money for them and the things that make money for them are doing a lot of surgeries, doing a lot of you know, cardiac interventions, doing, doing uh, chemotherapy. Those things are very financially viable for them. And so they're going to push those things. And, and if you do something that's not viable financially, guess what? You're not going to get a lot of support for that. No. So I was actually, I was just going to change track a little bit. Um, I'm I'm getting known for asking the questions that the listeners were secretly hoping I'd ask. So I'm going to see if this this is another one. How do you carnivore? Because as with everything, you know, something starts and and then there's a then someone else has a kind of a little offshoot there, or on some people carnivore and they add cheese and some don't and some do purely meat and some do fish and some don't and so what does sean baker's carnivore look like yeah and so i'm i'm very much not dogmatic about this i think you know my you know and and there's some people that think there's a very specific way we should do that uh you know they think you know we have to eat x amount of this and y amount of that I don't know the answer to that, so I just I just eat in, in to, one to enjoy it because I, w- I want to enjoy what I eat. I, I'm not going to stick to a diet I don't enjoy. And mm. two, I just listen to my body. And so most of the time, what it looks like for me is I eat some steak. I mean, it's a red meat diet for me. I mean, I'll eat a steak for breakfast, a couple a steak or two for breakfast, and then I'll probably eat a couple more in the evening. That's probably you know 90 percent of the days. I mean, sometimes I'll throw some eggs in there. Sometimes I'll throw some fish in there. I'll have a little bit of dairy from time to time. Um, you know, I'll, uh, you know, sometimes I'll put salt on the food. I mean, most of the time I'll put salt on the food. Sometimes I'll put different spices on there. Um, you know, and that's, and that's kind of generally what I do. I mean, I drink water. Sometimes I'll have a glass of wine. You know, my girlfriend's from France and she likes to have a glass of wine and she's pretty much carnivore too. I'd say she's probably 95% at this point. And, mm. and that's been funny because when I met her, about six years ago, seven years ago, she was a she was a vegetarian, which is kind of a funny transition. But she's, uh, you know, kind of kind of went with me over the years, and and now she feels the best she's felt in you know literally literally decades as she was, you know, vegetarian for a while. But yeah, I mean, there are people that think you know you have to eat X amount of liver a week, or you should put salmon roe on your dish, or you should sprinkle car- uh, uh, collagen on your meat, or put bone meal on there. And Dr. Paul Saladino and I, who's a good friend of mine, and we're, we're very much aligned, you know, he, he has a belief that there's an optimal way to do that. And I'm still more open-minded because I don't think we know yet. And all I can do is look at the results. And this is one of the things that, you know, in nutrition in general, I mean, we have such a, we have so many studies have done, been done, but we have such a dearth of knowledge. I mean, we have all of these Lots and lots, and you guys know it. We've got so many epidemiologic studies out there which have just abysmally small relative risk values, which basically mean nothing. And so we really don't know what any of this stuff does, honestly. I mean, when we look at, you know, if we look at, you know, hazard ratios for red meat and colon cancer or do fruits and vegetables benefit us with the same relatively small hazard ratio, that basically is meaningless stuff. So we're, we're kind of in, we're still, in my view, we still haven't learned much in nutrition. And so, to sit there and say, you must do this, this, and this based on what we know, I'm saying, well, we don't really know what we think we know. So I, I just have to say, what gives you the best results? And I know it's kind of, uh, it's not very comforting to people to say that I can't tell you you're going to live to 100 years in perfect health uh, because there's no study that supports that. or There's none for any any diet. And that, and that yeah, you, can't, you certainly can't say that about the standard of care. You can't say that for any diet. I don't care what diet you're talking about. We just don't know the answer to that. And so I think if we own up and, 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 and admit to ourselves that we really just don't know, I mean, we can speculate and we can guess, but we don't really know. So then what are you left with? You're left with, you know, do I believe the epidemiology or do you say, do I believe what's going on in my own body? I mean, sometimes feeling good you know, looking good, performing better, you know, when your systems are working better, that's, in my view, that's a pretty decent indicator for health. And I think that's, I think that's honestly, you know, a, a very good way to, way to look at things. And some people disagree with that, you know, cause they want, you know, they want, uh, you know, a blood test or something mm-hmm. like that to show us if you're healthy mm-hmm. or not. And I, I'd say that's kind of a, you know, if we look at, the, we look at it from a chronic disease spec, uh, perspective, 
you know, we are, we are, our burden of chronic disease has gone nothing but up over the last, you know, 50 to 100 years. It's, sure. it's clear. And we've got every test imaginable known to us. We've got genetic testing. We've got advanced, you know, lipid testing. We've got, uh, you know, minute by minute, you know, continuous glucose monitoring testing. We've got MRIs. We've got PET scans. We've got so many tests that we can do now on people to, to, to slice and dice them any way you want. And we're not getting better. We're not, none of that technology has helped us. And so we can look at the people, you know, a hundred years ago and they didn't die of chronic disease like we do. I mean, they died of infectious disease or trauma. And so they didn't have access to all this, all this advanced testing. So I, I, I still say, you know, look, there's a, you can look, you should be able to look in the, I mean, you should be able to look in the mirror and say, I'm, I'm healthier than I'm dead. You should be able to wake up and say, I feel pretty good. And that should be a decent metric. Dr. Baker, what do you say to people who are listening that are having the experience with their doctors that most of us have had? I mean, we go on a ketogenic diet, we read the research, we feel great. All, all the markers come down except for that one, you know, cholesterol. Right, sure. And the doctor thinks you're going to die and please sit down and all that stuff. And I mean, I ended up firing my doctor over that. But what what can you do? I mean, how doctors aren't going to read a book. You know, you bring them a book, they're not going to read it. Yeah, I can tell you. I mean, they don't have time. I mean, it's not that doctors are, are malicious or no, they're not anything like that. I mean, there are some that certainly that are you know that know a little about nutrition, and then they may. I mean, sometimes it's worse when doctors get nutrition education because they get the wrong damn education. They get the, you know, they get the ADA version of that, and so. Um, I think that, you know, one, it's as a patient, it's your body, it's your right. You know, if I tell you, you need to have a surgery and I tell you what the risk and benefits are and you say, no, thank you, then I need to respect that. And the same thing with taking these, you know, these particular drugs or being told that, uh, you know, I got to reduce my LDL cholesterol because it's associated with, with cardiac disease. And so, you know, and, and you know, and you, I'm sure you've had people in there and heard, heard all the talks, you know, there's, there's a lot of evidence now that points to the fact that elevated LDL cholesterol in itself may not be the, you know, driver of disease that we thought it was. Right. May even be protective. Um, you know, I, I tell people, you know, you can, I mean, if you want to, if you want to keep your doctor, say, look, doc, I appreciate your advice. I'm going to pass on that for now. Why don't we monitor what's going on and use other metrics? I mean, there's, you know, there's people that are proponents of, you know, depending on your age, coronary artery calcium scans, you know, you can, you can look at inflammatory markers. You can, you can manage your, uh, your, uh, if you have diabetic pathophysiology, those things are important when it comes to, uh, you know, cardiac disease. And, you know, it's true the number one killer of, of, of people in Western society still car is cardiac disease. That's that's not – that's certainly not d debatable, I think. But, I mean, at the same time, we have to look at all of the risk factors that go into that. And, and LDL cholesterol is only one of many. And I think there's, you know, as we're seeing guys like Dave Feldman show, there's a, probably a subset of people where LDL cholesterol goes up. And it may not have a negative impact. I know Dr. Brett Scher, who I mentioned just earlier, in his cardiology practice, is the same thing. He says, if your cholesterol is high and all these other things are good, I don't worry about it. I don't care how high it is. And I think that's pretty pretty brave for a cardiologist to say. But I think it's also, you know, holding up. You know, we're not seeing people. I mean, I'm not seeing in the ketogenic community or in the carnivore community, for that matter, I'm not seeing people have uh, – unusually high rates of cardiovascular incidents. I'm just not seeing that yet. You know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll be proven wrong in 10 years, but guess what? You know, you have the right to do that as, as a human being, as a patient, that's your right to decide what you want to do with your health. So, you know, you can either fire your, fire your, fire your doctor like you did. And there are more and more doctors out there that are, you know, seeing low carb patients and, um, being, being, uh, uh, willing to treat them that way and not, not give them a hard time about that stuff. And I mean, some of those folks are practicing online where they do, you know, online consults and, you know, unfortunately, you know, fortunately, you know, you and I are talking from across the country. So we have the technology to, you know, do healthcare in a different way. And a lot of people, you know, it's just like, okay, I'm just going to go, uh, yeah, I'm just going to get a different doc. And there's a guy's online and he practices, uh, you know, low carb medicine. So I think that's an option. I think more and more people are going to do that. So, Dr. Baker, I have another more, uh, a couple more questions about how you carnivore, because uh, I think other people are going to be interested to know. You mentioned organ meats. Do you eat organ meats? And if you do, which ones do you, do you like best? And which ones would you recommend, if any? Well, I mean, there's no doubt whatsoever that organ meats are extremely uh, uh, high in in nutrition. I mean, they're 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 the nu most nutrient dense part of the part of the animal. 
And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, if we look at a wild animal, the first thing they do is they'll eat the organ meats or they'll go eat the insides, right? What do I do personally? I eat very little, almost no organ meats. The only time I eat them is if I'm at, at a place where they serve them, you know, at home, I don't cook them. I don't buy them. Um, you know, I, I've had a number of different types. I've had, you know, I've had brains, I've had liver, I've had kidney, I've had testicles, I've had uh, intestine, I've had all basically all the organ meats. And, and to be honest, I just I just don't find them that palatable, and so I don't don't I don't really focus on eating them. You know, I've had you know chicken hearts and some other stuff. So I mean, I think that you know if you certainly enjoy them, I mean, I think they can be beneficial. A lot of people, liver is a very common one, as as we know. I mean, people will eat that that is pretty accessible. Some people get freaked out about eating brains, kidneys. I don't think particularly taste well. You know, I think they're just. They just have a bad taste in my view. I'm English. We love our kidneys. <laughs> Steak and kidney pie. Do you? Okay. Well, I mean, some people don't. Some people do. Some people don't. It's kind of interesting why people do that. I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if there's just an innate, um, uh, you know, reason some people don't like. You know, for same thing, a lot of kids don't like eating vegetables. I mean, there, there may just be some reason for that. And so the question becomes, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, every every sort of hunter-gatherer culture will eat their organ meats. And, you know, the question becomes, are they doing that because they're hungry and they don't have much food, which I think is probably in many cases the case, you know, or they're looking for fat. Because if we look at, you know, human beings require fat, particularly if you're on a low-carbohydrate diet, you have to have fat in your diet. Most of the animals that humans eat these days, with the exception of cows, which we breed to be fat, but most of the wild animals that these subsistence hunters would eat are very lean animals, relatively speaking. And so they don't have much fat on them. And so if you're going to get 60, 70, 80% of your calories from fat, guess what? You've got to go inside to the organs. You've got to get the fat that's around the organs. You've got to get that perinephric fat. You've got to get that omental fat that, that, that overlies the intestines and the mesentery. You've got to get... Well, unless you cook them in butter. Well, yeah, but I'm saying most of these, these you know, before the advent of dairy, we, we probably didn't have butter as, as an option. But, yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, you can you can use butter to, to, to beef up your... Uh, I, I got to tell you, one of the most satiating foods that I've ever eaten is uh, Julie Fox McClure's chicken liver pate, which is essentially half butter and half chicken livers. Sure. I mean, I, and I've had, you know, I've had foie gras in France when I was there, and I, and I, I found that to be pretty good. Well, not only the taste, but the way I feel after, I feel like, oh, there's no need for me to eat for hours now. That's and the that way I felt. Well. You know, yeah. it's kind of interesting because it's, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, a carnivore diet for many people is is a ketogenic style diet. And, and you know, I think most people, you know, it's kind of a misconception that it's a uh, an all protein diet. A lot of people say, how can you just all eat all protein? And I think for most people, I mean, most people get in the door at least 50% fat and they go up to, you know, 80% or more. And so, it tends to be a fat-based diet regardless. It just tends to be higher in protein than the average diet. And I think there's some advantages to that. And I think as you guys may or may not have seen that, you know, we in, in, in a ketogenic sphere, and again, I was in that I was in that group for three years. We, we were, you know, really trying to model, you know, moderate or limit protein out of fears of, of, of uh, preventing ketosis. Well, I see many, many, many people that do a, a carnivore diet eating quite a bit of protein where, you know, and we're talking two, 300 grams a day where they're still – you know, still in ketosis, and so I think with some of the some of the thought thoughts we have around protein may be uh, not accurate, or, or you know, may not may not may not apply to all people, and they may not exist in a vacuum. So that that leads me to my other question about how you carnivore, because I'm sure a lot of people want to know how much do you eat, and also, I mean, you're not a small guy; you're very tall, and and you you work out a lot. So what do you eat in terms of volume of protein and then total meat? What are your goals? Yeah, so, or do you yeah, not so track I mean, it? I'm 6'5", I'm 250. I mean, I train. I mean, I don't work out as much as people would think. I usually work out most days, but I'm not like three or four hours in the gym. I'm usually 30 minutes to 45 minutes a day. Um, I eat on average, if I want to maintain my body weight, I'll eat about four pounds of, of, of food a day. And it's typically, like I said, it's typically red meat and it's usually done over two meals a day. That's most frequently how I do it. Sometimes I'll do once a day. Sometimes I'll eat more frequently. Um, that's probably somewhere around 400 grams of protein. You know, typically, you know, you say an average pound of meat generally has about hundred grams of protein, give or take. Uh, on, on a macro percentage, most of that's a fattier cut of meat. So I'm probably... 60 70 70 percent of my calories are coming from fat i mean that's 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 my typical typical day and again it varies i don't sit there and 
stress about it. I don't sit there and count calories. If I'm, if I, you know, some days I want to have more fat, some days I want to eat, you know, more lean meat. And, and I just, I just kind of go on how I feel and that, and that works pretty well. If I want to get really lean and, and, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm in a fairly, I think healthy body weight and body composition, but if I want to get really lean just for the heck of it, I'll, I'll eat a little bit less and I'll eat a little bit leaner. And I mean, that works for me personally. Now there's other people where different things work. And I think, you know, this is a funny thing because there's people that will say, oh, I only get lean if I eat more fat or I only get lean if I eat more. You know, there's Ted Naiman's protein uh, uh, leverage hypothesis, or it's not his hypothesis, but he, he's a proponent of that. There's other people that think, no, you need to eat more fat. There's some people that say they do better with a little bit less calories. Or some people say, no, you got to eat more. And so it's kind of funny. And I think we all work a little bit differently, you know, on what works for people. And I think you have to kind of find out, your find your own path sometimes. And sometimes that path changes. I mean, sometimes things happen where, Hey, this was working for a while, and now I got to I got to look differently. So I think it's uh, being willing to experiment is is helpful. But I think in general, you know, the fact that I'm cutting out just com- the one thing about a ketogenic diet is there's a lot of ways to do a ketogenic diet. As you guys know, there's a there's many 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 foods, some of which are good, some of which are bad that you can incorporate in keto. I mean, you could do you could be in ketosis drinking corn oil and uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, whatever. I mean, that, that, that could be a ketogenic style diet. And so obviously that's not good for us. And so when people tell me they're on a ketogenic diet, I'm like, I don't really know what that means anymore. I mean, I know, I know you're maybe in ketosis, but I have no idea what you might be eating. And so when you say you're on a carnivore diet, most people, you can, you can pretty well darn bet they're eating mostly meat. I mean, they might be having some, some dairy and eggs and they're not eating vegetable oil. They're not eating, they're not eating desserts and they're not eating sweeteners and they're not eating, you know, the, the quest bars and stuff like that. I mean, we're, we're just not doing that. And so I think you're clearly, you're, you know, you're still practicing a ketogenic diet for the most part and you're, you're clearly not having any, any kind of junk in there. So that's why I think it's, it's even for people that have come from a ketogenic diet, a lot of people see a, a little, a little improvement. Some people it's a dramatic improvement and some people it's eliminating. And surprisingly for some people, eliminating those quote unquote healthy vegetables makes them feel better. And, you know, it's not that, you know, it's not that I'm, I hate vegetables or anything like that. I mean, I don't like them. I don't like the way they taste, but it's not that I have something against vegetables, but I'm just saying this is what's happening to people when they give them up, they're getting healthier. So why do we, why do we think that? Well, I mean, vegetables have some compounds in them that potentially may be beneficial. They may have a hormetic effect, but they also have compounds that are not, not helpful for us. And so, what what is in that balance on that? And we don't, you know, I think it depends on the person. So I like to think of keto just as a science based nutrition. You know, that's the what I got out of it. And one of the things we're always telling our listeners and people that we meet is test foods on yourself. And you have to do this. You know, you have to you have to eat something and then measure its effect on you. If that's a glucose meter, ketone meter, both, whatever. But uh, for somebody who's got um, you know, all sorts of problems. We've tried keto and, you know, are, are just going through the gamut of, you know, bad reactions or whatever. I, I think the first thing to do is cut out everything but red meat because. Well, I think that's, yeah, Carl, I agree. I mean, I think that's a very effective. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to solve a mystery and you've got, you know, you know, if you do, if you're playing clue with, with, uh, you know, trying to figure out who done it and you've got right. 300 clue characters, it's going to take you a long time to figure out who's, who the guy is. But if you knock it down to two or three guys, you got Colonel Mustard and, and, and Miss Peacock, <laughs> and that's the only people you're playing with. I mean, you're going to figure out who did it pretty quickly, right? So, I mean, it's 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 the same thing. You know, maybe I'll use that analogy again. I kind of enjoyed that's that. That's pretty one. good, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is a deal. Is And this is the other thing. I mean, this is something we're learning about. You know, oxalates tend to be an issue. Many people on a ketogenic diet are eating an incredibly high amount of oxalates. You know, whether it's from the almond flour, baking goods we use, it's from, from all that healthy, you know, those big giant spinach salads, you know, things like, you know, or, you know, those things may be problematic for people. And so I think it's something that, uh, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Test it. And that's what I tell people. I don't tell people, you know, you got, you know, a carnivore diet means you got to eat red meat and only red meat for the rest of your life. Sure. I don't think that means that. I think it means, you know, you figure out your problems. You may enjoy that. And you may want to do it. And there's many people that just feel so good. They, they stay that way and they like it. And then they, they become, unfortunately, some of them become very dogmatic. And when we get this sort of pettiness and if you don't do it this way you're 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 evil and bad i think that's just silly but i think in the end you know i i tell people you know do it for a while figure out your problems get healthy and then and then try to incorporate food back in and you know if you like you know if you like a you know some blueberries with a with a with a bit of greek yogurt hey man go do it and see how you do and if you do Mm -hmm. fine you know maybe it's in small doses you can handle that and you can do that a couple times a week 
awesome. That's going to that's going to be a more sustainable diet for you and, and more socially uh, doable diet for you than than just you know sitting out like a savage and eating raw meat all the time. It's, you know, <laughs> some people are doing this diet raw, which is kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, absolutely, testing the foods, being very objective about what it does, and, and you know, glucose meter can be helpful in that regard. But I mean, more importantly, you know. Just how do I feel with this stuff? And then you kind of get a, get a good sense of what, what works for you and what doesn't. So we're looking forward to you speaking at Keto Fest, Dr. Baker. I'm looking forward to coming out there. Like I said, it sounds fun. I know when you guys, you guys this is, what your th- is it the third year you guys are doing this, Carl, now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing you the first time. So that's pretty cool. And then I was like, you know, I was just, uh, I just thought, well, I've never been to Canada. Well, where is New London, Connecticut? I've never heard of that. And uh, so it's kind of funny that I'll, I'll be I'll be out there chatting with you guys. You like lobster? I like lobster. Lobster's carnivore. That's for sure. I haven't mm-hmm. had it in a while. That's a good. That's a good one. You know, dripped in some nice nice butter. It's yep. really nice. When I was, uh, it's kind of funny. When I was in the military, I flew out. Uh, I was going to Afghanistan to spend six months t- doing trauma surgery, and we stopped in Bangor, Maine. So I kind of near you guys, not mm-hmm. a little bit of ways, but yep. I was up there, and the little old ladies were up there serving us lobster bisque at like two o'clock in the morning, which I thought Great. was really. Really kind of neat. So, yeah, it'd be nice to get some of that East Coast lobster again. Oh, yeah. Get some steamers, some lobster, some mussels. There you go. Yeah, all that yeah. stuff's good to go. I mean, I think that seafood is wonderful. It's a wonderful little treat. And, uh, mm. you know, I mean, like I said, you can do a carnivore diet a whole bunch of different ways. And mm. I don't think you should let one person tell you what the right way is. You know, like I said, it's at the end of the day, and at the end of the day, my message is find what works for you and do what works for you. And, yep. and you know, don't get t- caught up in any particular you know, any particular dogma. So if you want to meet Dr. Baker, you can do that just by coming to Keto Fest in July. Yep. So come on down to Connecticut. It's going to be awesome. Ketofest.com. Yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody out there. I always have a lot of fun talking to people face-to-face. You know, the social media stuff is kind of interesting, but, you know, as you guys probably, well, maybe, I don't know how much you participate in Twitter and all that stuff, but... You know these little 100, 280 character little sound bites that you don't really get a get to have a nice conversation with a lot of people, and a lot of a lot of things get misconstrued. And uh, I think when you get to talk to people face to face, it's a much different experience. Absolutely. Well, Doctor Baker, thank you very much for spending this hour with us, and uh, we'll see you in July. All right, Carl and Carrie, thank you. Hey, can I ask you just can I just off off the? I don't know if you're still recording, but I know you can edit. So now you're two keto dudes, but you lost a dude. What happened to Richard? Is he? Is he oh is he, no, we we didn't lose Richard. He's just focusing on his uh, studies. He went back to university for biochemistry. Interesting. Good yeah, for him. and he he just realized that he really needs to buckle down this year and not be distracted by uh, all of the other stuff that's going on. Like, But, you know, he comes back on the show once in a while, and um, he's actually going to speak at Keto Fest for the first time. He's going to have oh, a nice. real talk oh, and for him. tell awesome. us what he's learned, which should be amazing. And, uh, you know, he's just he, he comes back when he's available. Very good. Well, yeah. Carrie, it was, it was a nice to, to virtually meet, well, I guess meet you again and stuff. And, uh you are you are originally. I'm I, I'm guessing you're originally from from England. Is that is that correct? Or I am. Just- yeah, but I've been here uh, 18 years, and I've moved. Actually, I was in Seattle for 17 years, and then I moved to Connecticut a year ago. So I'm just new here, but I've been here 18 years. So it's it's home. It's definitely home now. Oh, okay, wonderful, well, wonderful. I hope you well. Like I said, look forward to seeing you guys in July, and then. Uh, Carl, that that I know you talked about something in May. So as soon as I find out my schedule, because I'm I'm kind of figuring out my summer schedule with my kiddos and stuff like that, I should you know I, I, I'm very happy to do that thing on the, the end of May. That little I'm not even sure what you call keto it, mini fest. Thing. Yeah, we're we're going down to New Orleans. Well, going to my house, but we're cooking uh, New Orleans cuisine keto style. Very nice. Yeah, yeah that could be. Are you be. are you in um, Salt Lake? next weekend no i'm not i'm going to i'm going to paleo effects to speak uh, next weekend and then uh i think i'm doing low carb seattle the following week mm. okay and then, and then i can't remember what else i have two other things a bunch <laughs> of good things coming up this year so all right guys well if i don't hear from you uh before keto Fe- you know if i hear hopefully i'll get to talk to you with you in may Carl. yeah yeah that'll be great all right okay. thanks again okay thanks let Thank me know what you. else i can do all right Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Wow. You know, Carrie, I was as surprised as you were to hear about uh, Sean Baker's run in with the hospital and that he actually had to give up his license for three years 
to to follow his convictions and do what he thought was right. Amazing. You know, I knew that Sean Baker was cool, but I had no idea quite how cool <laughs> Dr. Sean Baker is. Yeah. I mean, that it's right up there with Gary Fetke's story. I mean, he's an orthopedic surgeon. We We recorded a couple of different shows with Gary, but his story absolutely infuriated me that uh, that he could be told, you know, stop talking to them about nutrition and just get back to lopping their feet off. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Sean Baker, uh, his story too, just just amazing. Well then, I think it's time that we uh, divulge a couple of recipes. There, I did it. done yeah i'm done i feel okay it's catharsis for me you can know. i go now you can go it's your turn love <laughs> all okay. right just go right so, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Gick, given that we've just talked to dr sean baker about carnivore i didn't feel like i could talk about a recipe full of vegetable things <laughs> or or xylitol or allulose or all of that so this is pretty much carnivore, but you could make it seriously carnivore by leaving out one ingredient. And I'll tell you which one that is. Well, you'll know which the ingredient is, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. Okay. They're a kind of super cool. They were kind of breakfasty, brunchy kind of thing, but I know a lot of us don't eat mm. uh, at that time. So you could eat these any time of day. And you could also what uh, are they? they they it would be great. I'm going to tell you in a minute <laughs> that it would be great as part of something else, as part of a buffet, part of a, a you know a holiday spread. They'd be great for that too. So I okay. called them. I called them ham and cheese ramekins. And ah. ramekins for the uninitiated, ramekins is the name of the little dishes that you make them in their little round straight-sided dishes. Yeah, they kind of look you. like little custard cups or something. Yes, little, and you don't yeah. have to make them in those, but um, we'll put the link in the show notes so you can go look at the pretty pictures so you can visualize this better. But they're little ham and cheese, very intense ham and cheese goodness. So mm. here we go. Go. They only take, they take 15 minutes to prep. They take 15 minutes to cook. So under 30 minutes and they're fab. The flavors in these are fabulous, even though they're very simple. So you're going to need two ounces or 55 grams of cheddar cheese. You're going to need two ounces, 55 grams of smoked gouda. Gouda? (laughs) Gouda? Yeah, Gouda. Anyway, I highly recommend that you take a few extra minutes to search out the smoked Gouda because it makes this otherworldly in terms of taste. It makes it, makes it taste very Gouda. It <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, moving on. You're going to need six tablespoons of heavy cream, mm. two ounces or 55 grams of mushrooms, which okay. you're going to finely chop. And two ounces of 55 grams of ham, also finely chopped. Obviously, if you want to keep this completely carnivore, I think I figured out which one you should eliminate. You you should just double the ham and leave out the mushrooms. Yeah. Uh, You're going to need some sea salt and ground black pepper. You're going to need half a teaspoon of onion powder and then two eggs. Mm. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to grease your little ramekin dishes with coconut or avocado oil or whatever dishes you use, mm-hmm. and you're going to place those greased dishes on a baking sheet. You're going to grate the cheeses into a bowl, add the cream, the mushrooms if you're using them, the ham, the sea salt, the ground black pepper, and the onion powder, and mix it all together until it's completely combined. Then you're going to separate the eggs carefully, making sure not to get any yolks in the whites. You're going to add the yolks to the cheese mixture and mix it all together well. Then in a separate bowl, you're going to whisk the egg whites until stiff and fold them into the cheese mixture. So it's kind of like a souffle. It's kind of like a souffle, but it's a very sturdy souffle. It's a very... 
it's not a light, fluffy souffle. It's a really like punchy, very, very heavy flavored, intensely flavored kind of souffle. Slap your mama souffle. It is. <laughs> so once you've whisked the egg whites and you've folded them into the cheese mixture, you're going to spoon that mixture evenly into your dishes and bake them at 400 degrees F for 10 to 15 minutes until they are golden brown and risen. And then you, you're going to whip them out of the oven and eat them immediately. How far do I fill up the ramekins? Halfway? Like how much do they expand? Yeah, halfway. Halfway is good. Okay. They do collapse back a little. So when you take them out of the oven. But yeah, halfway is good. Okay. Um, now, soufflés are typically very, very fragile. This is not as fragile a soufflé as a traditional soufflé. Hmm. So, yes, I recommend eating them immediately. If they collapse a bit, it's absolutely fine. And while they are delicious hot, they are also delicious cold because, of course, living in a house of one human and a bunch of cats, I got to eat all of them, but I didn't eat them all at once. So I had one when it came out hot, but then I had the rest over the next few days that had been in the fridge, and they're perfectly awesome cold but I do recommend them hot as well. So either way. Excellent. If you have a bunch of little pieces of cheese that you might have lolling in your fridge, um, you could use those up and you could get some really different flavors going on doing oh, that. Yeah. So that would be cool too. And if you do want it to be a little less rich, because this is rich, you can just um, switch out the heavy cream for your favorite nut milk. Okay. Sounds delish. So that's it. And we'll put the link in the in the show notes so that you can go cook you some ham and cheese ramekins. Very good. Um, I have a tip today, and uh, it's something I haven't ever talked about before on the show, but it's demi-gloss. Demi-gloss is essentially a concentration of veal stock with wine uh, in, in, in a reduction, and it's got that gelatinous bone broth stuff when it's cold but what chefs do is they add this to pan sauce um, particularly beefy pan sauces <laughs> or veal uh, and, and sort of spoon that over it just gives it this nice rich meaty quality and so I have made my demi-glace in the past like if I'm making a Bordelais sauce for example where you take butter and shallots and brown those shallots really, really well. And then you deglaze the pan and you, you add some veal stock and cook it down. Well, you don't really have to do that if you have this pre-made demi-glace, which you can get online. You can get it at a, at a, a better supermarket or a upscale gourmet store, or you can just order it on Amazon. I mean, just go look for it. And it, it's concentrated beef flavor. And so let's say that you're doing sous vide uh, chuck roast or anything like that where you have liquid that comes off uh, of the meat. You put that in a pan and add some demi-glace and uh, reduce that down a little bit. Oh, my God, best pan sauce ever. So that's my tip. Enhance beefy pan sauces with demi-glace. So that's a wonderful thing for people to know that if they do not have the time to do all of that from scratch, they don't have to miss out on everything. There are ways where you can get all the benefits by buying something to add to something else. So it, don't think that you have to go without all of these things just because you don't have the time or the energy to make everything from scratch. And yes, the once once from scratch, and if you love cooking, you go for it. But if that's not your thing, then it's still all good. And we'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. Absolutely. So that's it for today. You know, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything we've said, or even if you just want to say hi, send us an email, dudes at 2 dudes.com. 
You can also follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. Make sure you use the hashtag Two Keto Dudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's at forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. That's that great big ketogenic before and after success thread. Also, check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen, with Carrie Brown and Carl Franklin. If Facebook is your thing, we've had a flood of two keto dudes peoples coming and joining us lately, so that's been super fun. If you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. If you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, Two Keto Dudes Gold. And we have a couple other Facebook groups. We have uh, Keto Fest uh, a group and also a Facebook fan page at fb.2keto.com. So go follow us there. And you can also see our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, please go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because that's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Now listen up, kiddos. Keep calm and keto on. All the time. Keep calm and keto on. Yep. And we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.